Hello, I'm Sandra Gilman, chairman of the American Theatre Wing, with our board president, Doug Leeds. Welcome to today's program. We'll be back later to tell you more about the work of the American Theatre Wing. But right now, please join us for another edition of Working in the Theatre. One of the season's most thrilling events is Tom Stoppard's three-play epic, The Coast of Utopia, at Lincoln Center Theatre. It chronicles the lives of the dissident thinkers who triggered change in mid-19th century Tsarist Russia. This nine-hour trilogy has a cast of 44 actors playing over 70 roles. Joining us today to talk about their roles in the production and their lives as actors are Jennifer Ely, Ethan Hawke, Amy Irving, and Josh Hamilton. I'm Ted Chapin for the American Theatre Wing. Welcome to Working in the Theatre. Now, I wanted to start by asking the same question to all of you, um, which is basically, what on earth possessed you to spend eight months of your life in a three-hour, in a three-part, nine-hour trilogy about Russian dissident thinkers? Jennifer? That actually wasn't my fear. <laughs> I had no doubt that this was an extraordinary piece of work, and uh, I, I loved reading it. It's really a three-part play. It's a triptych, and I... Uh, I adored it. I adored the idea of a chance to work with Jack O'Brien. And it's so rare that one is able to do repertory theater anywhere in America, um, let alone in Manhattan. My fear was that it would be like living on an oil rig. And that was all that worried me. Um, Meaning just so much work. Just so much work off. and being completely cut off from your yeah. life. An offshore yeah. oil rig, yeah, right. say. <laughs> and um, that, uh, and, and it, it, ha it has been in some ways, and in, in other ways it, it hasn't. Um, it's, it's certainly uh, the most extraordinary experience I've had in the theater and the, the project I'm proudest to have been a part of. Great, Ethan. Well, I remember one thing that um, Stoppard said at uh, the first day of rehearsals that nobody's going to see this and walk out and say, thank God, I finally know everything about mid-19th century Russian radicals <laughs> that I ever wanted to know. It, it's, it, you can phrase it like it's a nine-hour thing about Russian dissidents, but it, it's a play about life, and it's an incredibly ambitious one. It's not interesting because it's about Russian radicals necessarily. It's interesting because the people are recognizable and the lives they have and the politics that they are struggling with are recognizable to ones that we deal with. And it's kind of fun to be isolated, to take a period of history and isolate it from common, uh, from, from right now, so that it's, you don't have a knee-jerk liberal response or a knee-jerk conservative response. You just kind of take the mm -hmm. politics, and you don't know. We all have a stance on the Iraq war. We all have a stance on uh, what to do with environmental rights. We don't have a stance on, you know, the serfdom. You know, so you can kind of listen to ideas, and it's really kind of... I'm against it. You're against <laughs> it, yeah. <laughs> so, and so, to be honest, I can't imagine, there's very few actors who 
are really serious about the craft of acting that wouldn't say yes to anything Tom Stoppard, Lincoln Center, and Jack O'Brien offered them. That, that, that triptych is a very powerful one if you're sincere in your interest in the craft of acting. You agree, Amy? Yeah, but I mean, also this play deals with, I mean, one of the first things we were all told to read was uh, Romantic Exiles, which deals with the, the sex lives and the romance and the triangles and all that goes on in, in, in the lives of these people, which is, you know, a really good read. It has nothing to do with it. It's not over anybody's head, and that's, uh, that's part of the story we're telling as well. Um, I personally, um, when I was asked to come be in this project, not only is it Jack O'Brien, Tom Stoppard, but um, my father was the artistic director at Lincoln Center from 1965 to 72, so it was going home. Well, I have to say, I loved when, when, when you came out on stage and I saw you, and I thought too about your, your parents and your history in that theater. That was great. Mm, Josh, so what, did, what, what, what convinced you to do this? I just needed a job. I like long jobs. I've always... Um, I've always uh, tried to see Stoppard's plays whenever I whenever I could. I've always been, you know. And um, so, about last uh, about a year ago, um, a good friend of mine said, "You know, they're finally bringing those over. You should get some copy, a copy of them and read them." So I, I bought all three plays and I read them and I just was like on fire. I said, "I have to be a part of this somehow." And um, and basically, I just you know harassed them until they let me uh, until they let me be a part of it. Every night. A hundred thousand people have nowhere to sleep except in the streets. And every morning, a certain number of them are dead. They die of starvation beside hotels where you can't dine for less than two pounds. But at the same time, a policeman can't lock you up without showing cause to a magistrate within a couple of days. Or he has to let you go to starve to death, perhaps. With all this liberty, there's no beggar in France or Russia as destitute as the London poor. And with all this poverty, no Frenchman or Russian has his liberty guarded like a London beggar. You know, am I, am I allowed to tell your, your, your moment post getting the part? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, Josh and I have done a lot of plays together. And, and, um, but Josh read the plays, was on fire, desperate to be a part of it, got a part of it, and then called me up the next day and said, isn't that part really small? <laughs> Am I going to be miserable? Because, I mean, that's been the big... Th if you really want to be a part of company, everybody loves these expressions. It's ensemble work. It's company work. It's hard on the ego. And people who are actors and who are successful actors, you, don't, you didn't get into it um, because you're good at things like humility. You, you know, I mean, that... that um, and so it's, it's, a it's really challenging. It is, you know, to, Josh is, in, in a way, I think you're, you know, to use Jack O'Brien's name, your triumph is the greatest triumph because Jack is, you know, Josh plays uh, a small, like, as two scenes, three scenes in the first two plays and then, you know, becomes one of the leads in the third. And so he had to go through six months of rehearsal of rehearsing three scenes, you know, and doing them and going but through these knowing that, that the, the acts were going to fall. Payoff. Yeah, the payoff yeah. was yeah. coming. Well, yeah. I think it, it, we have to say that, that, that in, in a fascinating way, we, you know, among the four of you, Jennifer plays three distinct different parts in each, in th the three plays. Amy plays two roles in only the first two and are not in the third. Don't say only. No, I'm not I saying. get to. <laughs> I get to. The, the privilege of, but I think, I mean, certainly as an audience member, that's one of the, one of the most fascinating things it's is to so be able to see, oh, wait a minute, that's not the same character 
but that's you know that's the that's same. That's the fun for us actors too. I mean, to be able to play such diverse characters in one day. I mean, so, it's my, f my friends who come see the show, that's their. The, one of the things that's the most thrilling about it is to watch. You know, Josh and I play the same character. But watching you guys play different people is so much fun for the audience. Uh, just. I mean, I, I think it is neat now, to watch. Stoppard, in an interview, said that he doesn't rewrite his plays, but he adjusts them. And he was around for a fair amount for this, Most was he not? Most of the time. Mm -hmm. and did he, did he make adjustments? Said. And if oh, so, what yeah. kind? A lot. I mean, the first six weeks of uh, rehearsal was literally, we started with a round table, and it was like this master class where he would just tell us where the inspiration came for the play, um, what, what ideas he was bringing to the play, explain anything we didn't understand because we're not going to be able to convey it to the audience if we don't know what we're talking about, you know, from the ginger cat to everything. I mean, we, all the different philosophies. And uh, it, was, it was anything that would come along that didn't didn't necessarily work or, or something. He was right there. Often it was going back to the original text because he cut a lot because the original production in London was longer. Um, and some of the cuts didn't work. I and mean, some of them you just felt like, you know, I remember I, Josh and I are married in this, well, we, yeah, we were married in the second play. And, and there was some character thing about us that wasn't clear. And I said, I went back to the London text and I went, ah, so that's what we're talking about. And I said, look, it's not that I want more lines, but you know, this makes it a lot clearer. And Tom was like, of course, of course, you know, what was I thinking? And, and he was open to all sorts of um, whatever we needed to make it work. And, to, and since, since it is based on historical figures, but as, as Stoppard in his inevitable brilliant sort of connecting the dots through a complete fictionalization, um, were you urged to research the people you're playing? Oh, yeah. There, there's a, a dramaturg at the theater, and it can... Anne oh, thank you. I wasn't going to get that wrong. Um, and she actually researched each of our characters separately and gave us specifically what we needed to read, as well as there was so many things that you can read. And we uh, were all smarter than we used to be. <laughs> but uh, speci character specific, she she helped us find. And there's tons of material on these characters. Stoppard also says that he, he hopes that these plays, he considers these plays distinct plays, that he likes them played together, but also each one is a distinct, distinct play. We also went to, we went to uh, some of the actors went to Russia right before uh, we started rehearsals. Some of the actors went to Russia. Uh, Josh, they're really cool actors. <laughs> <laughs> the, the best of the actors. Yeah. Um, on your own or under somebody's auspices? Uh, well, on our own, but we, because, um, uh, through Tom and through Anne and people that we had these connections because we got to meet the guy uh, who translated the play into Russian because they're actually rehearsing the Coast of Utopia in Moscow right now. Wow. So um, we, had, we had dinner with the guy who translated it into Russian and then we met a lot of the actors who from the Russian company. Um, we met our counterparts. Uh, Brian, uh, Bern, Martha Plimpton and Jason Butler Harder and I went over for a over two weeks. Are you, are you believers in, in research under any circumstances as actors for your roles? Yeah. Do, you, do you tend to dive in? Jennifer, do you tend to dive in? And um, I see it as an opportunity to, um, to learn and to satisfy curiosity. I don't find it important for the piece or for the character. Um, but I do enjoy learning what I can as you sort of going along. Yeah. Romantic Exiles is an incredible read. It really is Amy's right. It's like a beach read. I mean, you can't put it down. And I read an interview somewhere where Tom said it's 
a book you can read in an evening, and I, I'm not sure that I would say that that <laughs> was true for me. <laughs> but, um, in, a, in one of Tom's evenings, he can read it. Um, but it is it is a wonderful book, and um, I found that fascinating. But I, you know, I, I just I like that I like the, I like the text, and I kind of that's that's my thing. But I enjoy whatever else I can pick up along the way. I'm gonna say just because they didn't go to Russia, I still think they're really good in the play. <laughs> <laughs> I love being able to research a role when there's material there. I mean, I just did a one woman show about Elizabeth Bishop, and you know, she has this book of 2,000 pages of her letters through her life, and it's like seeds planting inside of you. So, I mean, you can, your character has just that much more to resonate off of, and mm -hmm. this play just... But sometimes you have to throw th reality away in drama. I mean, I read about, in the first play, I played Jennifer's, and I played all the, everybody's mother. <laughs> and and uh, I started to learn what my role was at that time, what the women did as far as keeping the slaves, the serfs in line, and, and how serious it was to get these girls married off or the kind of lives they'll have without it. And, and a lot of them were kind of very depressing characters. And then Tom said to me, I mean, um, Jack said to me one day, you know, you have a really good marriage. I went, oh. So instead of using what the genera general women went through at that time, I was like, okay, I do all that, but I have a good marriage. So I didn't have to be kind of dour and depressing all the time. I got to have some fun, and being married to you know, Richard Easton is fun. <laughs> I don't know why Michael had to run away to Moscow in the first place. The really thick envelope she must have written comes solid of pages and pages. I wouldn't get your hopes up there, Mamma. Why? What did she say? Michael's invited another friend to come and stay in the summer. A critic on the telescope. What sort of critic? Poor as a mouth. Well, that's no use. Is Stoppard at all intimidating? I mean, one, one might get from his, from his, the mind as evidence through his work that he would be intimidating. I'm scared to have dinner with him. <laughs> I think maybe he knows that people tend to be, and so I think he goes out of his way to be incredibly gracious and kind and sort of, um, you know, he sort of gives, has great faith in, in, in your intelligence. And he never of, lets you feel stupid. No, I mean, he'll sort of, he, 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 he uh, is very gentle with his, his great intellect, I think. I also think that's the real gift of his plays. There, there's this idea that you know, that it's so highbrow and it's so intelligent. Every time I've gone to see one of his plays, and I've heard, I've heard other people say this, I feel smart when I leave. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because he treats you with such respect as an audience member, and you can follow it. And I mean, I think the great the part of the why the Coast of Utopia has been so successful is that people think, oh, mid-19th century Russian radicalism is nine hours. It's, I'm going to go there. It's going to be like signing up for Harvard or something. And you go there, and it's about love affairs and brothers and sisters crying and people and having, funny. you know, people breaking up with going, and you're like, oh, wow, I get this. And it also deals with some real um, exciting ideas and some real political thinking and some real spiritual thinking. And you feel like, yeah, I can handle all that. I felt that way when I left Arcadia. I felt that way when I left Invention of Love. Um, and it's funny, and you get the joke. So it's it's not, and he does that as a man too. He, I think he is very intimidating. I think I don't know why. I, there are people that walk this earth that for some reason, you. But I think it's what we bring to it. It's not the way he acts. He doesn't it's true. It's not his it's fault. It's what we come to it thinking like, oh gosh, I can't yeah. say anything about it because he's Tom Stopper. But he doesn't do anything to make you feel that way. It's yeah, yeah, right. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> what about Jack O'Brien? I mean, I, I, think, I think Jack O'Brien has always been a very good director. And I have to say, when I saw this play, I thought, wow, you know, he's now at the top of the list. I mean, this is, this is, this is an extraordinary work of theater. Again, I, when I sat next to you know, Andrea and Deborah Monk was sitting next to Andrea, and, and I said, you know, this is amazing. And she said, Jack makes it fun. Jack just makes it fun. I mean, is, is that a good way to characterize Jack O'Brien? Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, he's a one-man band. I mean, <laughs> he's not only coming up with these inspirational ideas how to do a play, he knows how to tell you how to find your character. He keeps you laughing all the time. He makes every single character, every single actor in that company feel important to the whole thing. Um, he's... he's beyond. Um, I mean, I, I think working with him was the best experience I've ever had working with a director. Yeah, he's a kind of director during notes. I mean, and people would just be wrapped at note sessions, even though they might not, you like know, they, might, they wouldn't have a note for like, you know, mm -hmm. in, the, in, the, in that play. But they'd, people, he'd say things and people would actually just write down like what other people's notes because they're just so beautifully thought out and phrased. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. and, and what, what is it, what is it that a good director gives uh, gives an actor? I mean, creating an atmosphere to begin with, and and well, I'll tell you one thing. The biggest thing about Jack is I did, I've done two plays, but five plays. You know, we did the Henrys, uh, Henry one and two, and the Scotia Utopia is three plays, which were the two giant endeavors. And he is tremendously successful at making everybody in the design team, the actors, that we are all in service of something larger than ourselves. And, you know, I mean, he, he's very good at that, that we are all on it. We have a message. We have a, we are delivering a story. And as soon as, and he's, he's really good at team, at a sense of team and community and getting everybody united around the ideas. And I think that that, that is where his great skill set lies. And he has fun. I mean, you know he's enjoying it so much. I've never worked on a play where the director doesn't get cranky, at least at tech. Yeah, but you didn't work on Salvage. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but by the time Salvage came along, was, every, was it a little bit... There was a def different feel, well, definitely. I, th I think that, also, I think when they did it in London originally, they... He was sort of finishing Salvage. They did. They put up all three at once in London. Right. They opened them at the, at the on same, same time. Day. So I think he was sort of writing Salvage as they went along. And then with this one too, I think they were so prepared and so hyper prepared with parts one and two. And then by the time they got to three, they sort of were figuring it out as it went along a little bit more, which was incredibly exciting in some ways. It was with, very with exciting. exhaustion added in. Yeah. yeah. From doing the other two and, and yeah. for everybody. There was. I mean, if I think if. If I were in charge and I could say to do it again, I would have given us another, you know, three weeks rehearsal for salvage. Because to, just to factor in the, the tired factor. Guys like Jack and, and our whole design team, these guys are, I mean, use use the word, I, I feel this way about Jack, and uh, he's a master of our profession. He's entered some other level at it now, where he, he knows how to use space, he knows how to tell stories, he knows how to do all this. So he can do it. You don't always, as actors, get to work with first-rate directors. And do you find that, that you have to have defense mechanisms or different systems to put into place when you suddenly realize, uh oh, I'm not going to get from this guy what I get from a Jack O'Brien? And how do you deal with that? Uh, it's tough. I don't know if there is a formula to it. Um, it's tough. It's always tough. If, if, you, if you are in that situation, you realize that you're not um, getting what you need or that you maybe shouldn't trust as much as you, of course, have gone in ready and willing and doing. Wanting. Uh, yes, and wanting. Um, it's very hard to pull away to cut the umbilical cord in a rehearsal process because that's what it's all about. 
And so I don't know. I've, I've never been able to get it right. It's, it's different every time. Yeah, I mean, sometimes there's a director who will, like, put a show on its feet and go, oh, I like this play, and kind of walk away. And you go, whoa, wait, now is, when, now is when the work starts to happen. And um, I've had the experience where I've had director friends go sit in an audience and write notes for me, you know. I mean, if you're not going to get it from the director, you've got to get it from somewhere. Or fellow actors, you know, who say, could you, like, you know, help me here? And because... Uh, I need a director. I'll be the first one to admit. And that's my favorite part of acting, is the rehearsal period where a director takes you somewhere mm. where you can't go by yourself. So if you're not getting it, then, you know, then the stimulus is gone and, you know, you have to find it somewhere else. One of the great things for me about this, the process of when we were rehearsing for all that time and we were always having another show going on, was to be able to, comp to continue to get notes from Tom and Jack. And because I like to have I like to be fed, fo I like to have fodder thrown at me constantly, and it just, it's very important. And now, already, I can feel it, we're not getting that now, because they've both gone away. <laughs> and we're now just doing the shows, which is also joyous, um, of course. They'll be back. They'll be back, <laughs> and that will be wonderful. But I, I do love that constant checking in, and, you know, I like to have my temperature taken a lot. Jennifer and I sit backstage in our dressing room, and we give notes. <laughs> Nobody ever gets them, but we're like, shouldn't that person be doing it this way? You know, we're, we're redirecting all the time. We're not the, the only time. dressing room. <laughs> I'm sure yeah. not. Forty actors in the building. Oh my God, he's got so insecure. I know. We, we, Amy's we not never there for salvage. I'm not there for Oh, good. 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 <laughs> so she's and out I front. I thought you were perfect. Huh? I'll tell you this, I, I tend to do my best work with you. my worst directors. Do you know? And that, that's like... You what? You know what I mean? Like, if I really don't like a director, work? yeah. That'll wow. show him. <laughs> I have, I have, I, listen to you guys talk, it's like so interesting. I, I mean, and Jack talked to me about this. Like, I mean, it's really, my desire to please a director I respect sometimes can get so high that it starts to... I know that. Yes. It starts to kill my own impulses. And, you know, versus if I'm kind of, I'm working with a director that I don't like, that I've lost respect for, that I don't think is interesting, I start uh, being more confident and being more aggressive in a way. I mean, Jack took me aside early, I mean, in tech and in Voyage and, and said, you got to stop being so respectful of this process. It's like, you, you got to go out and claim it. Um, because I was just, I was admired the two of them, Jack and Tom, so much that I found it a little bit of, uh, you right. know, a, a, a bit in my mouth. Yeah. So he cut you loose. So he gave you freedom to. He tried. He tried to. It's it's not a pressure he put on me. It's a pressure I put on myself. And I don't know. To be honest, this, I, I've felt since they've been gone, that, uh, that I've. I don't know if it's true now because I love their notes. But at the same time, I've been it's yours, a more man. relaxed performer, not worrying about whether or not I put, um, you know, I stress the if in a certain sentence because Tom is watching and it drives him crazy when you don't. <laughs> Stankiewicz has been in Berlin for months, sitting at the feet of the professor there who was Hegel's actual pupil. And my father says he'll agree to pay my debts if I study agriculture. Why agriculture? Apparently Pramukino is an agricultural business. <laughs> you thought it was just there, didn't you? An aesthetic fact of nature, like a bluebell, only much bigger. No, I didn't. Well, I did! Um, now, I know that when this uh, show was originally scheduled at Lincoln Center, it, it, there was, at, it was to culminate with three times when you would do what they called the marathon. Mm -hmm. And I believe you've done one, and now because it's been extended once and maybe twice, you have many more marathons. What was the first marathon? You've only done, you've only done one, right? Only done so one. what was it like? 
It was a it was I, so it was fun, a wild ride. It yeah. was fabulous. Well, the audience was like, I think probably the best audience we've had. They were Definitely. so into like New Yorkers love events, and it was just they were they also were right it. from the very beginning. They were just like so happy to be there, and, and it was really nice for us because that made us sort of blossom. And, yeah. yeah, it felt. I, I don't know. I just I love any. I love theater when it feels at all like the circus, mm. and it, it had a little bit of that feeling, like the sound of them sitting out there waiting for it, and us all arriving. It just felt somehow like. Like yeah, you could tell they got their tickets like six months ago, and they were mm -hmm. like, excited they all to be wanted, there. they all wanted to be there, yeah. and they all were prepared to be there and excited about it, and they, uh, they just encouraged us to along. And I have to mm -hmm. see the plays. The thing you said earlier that the plays stand up on their own. Tom likes to say that. I don't think they do. Um, I, I don't think anybody's going to do a production of Salvage, you know, without any of the other ones. I mean, and I think doing it as a marathon. You felt the arc of the play really in a did. way that you, I never had. The, the plays are actually play, play, paced incredibly well when done as a whole. Mm -hmm. The mood shifts, you know, the way the way it moves, and the way that I felt the ending of Salvage work in a way I had never felt it work on its own. Yeah. That in you know the set design, the music, everything made sense, and 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 the text. It all came together in a powerful punch. In a way, it doesn't when you haven't watched Alexander Hertzen go through all this. You when, within the last twelve hours. Yeah, yeah it's it's yeah. amazing. It when, is the way to see it. Yeah, when Martha America. comes and makes fun of, uh, you know, Hertzen has that moment on stage where he says, "Oh, Natalie, it's our Tata grown up." He's referencing his wife who we knew passed away two hours ago, and then Martha comes out and kind of makes fun of him about this kind of intimate moment, and it's all still so fresh. You know, in a way that that moment, I don't think, has the same power to an audience where half the people didn't see uh, Shipwreck. Yeah. Or Although I have to... Ago, or saw two yeah. months ago. I did only see Shipwreck when I was in London at the National, and that one does hold up on I think own. if I had to pick I one, that would be... I think that's the one that does one. hold up. Interesting. Yeah. Because Voyage it's is a, a setup and Salvage is a conclusion. I want to talk about the, the design a little bit because um, the, I know that the set is credited to two designers and mm -hmm. each of the plays has a specific, distinct, different lighting designer. But how did the two set designers work? Uh, did they split it up or did yeah, they... That's actually not a good question for us. I actually have no idea. I, I, have, no idea. I have no idea and I never yeah. even met two of the last two lighting designers. So it was all, it all happened so fast. I mean, we've literally had two and a half weeks to do, to rehearse Shipwreck and two and a half weeks to rehearse Salvage, basically. And that was it, and they were. Uh, it, it all happened the the really fast. Yeah, really they, they worked theory. with each other. Yeah. A lot of that was planned out before we ever came in the room, and then a lot of it was planned out on the fly. I mean, it was a weird combination of they had, you know, Jack had some overarching themes to the piece that he was going to bring out, and the sets are there to manifest that. But I, I have no. They would idea. bring us together to show us what the opening was going to look like with the black silk. That was they would bring us together oh. to the show us what the revolution that. in Paris was going to look like. So, I mean, it was not a collaborative, we weren't part of a collaboration involved in that. They're well, just brilliant. It, it, there's something extraordinary about that shiny floor. I don't know. It, it's just for it some reason. It was a great idea. Well, yeah. and it also, it also, to an audience member, it, it, it tells you this is important in a good way. Mm. It's like this, this is, you know, take, you know make, make a, pay attention. This is going to be important. Mm. On that note, we're going to take a break and uh, hear a little few words about the American Theatre Wing. The American Theatre Wing has played a vital role in New York's theatrical life for more than 60 years. We stand for excellence, and we support education in the theater. Best known for creating the Tony Award, our work reaches beyond Broadway and New York. 
These seminar programs, which are supported by the Annenberg Foundation and the Dorothy Strelson Foundation, are an unequaled form for discussions with today's most creative artists. Downstage Center's in-depth interviews are heard on XM Satellite Radio. Our grant and scholarship programs support New York theater companies and theater students. And since we began, we have given away more than two and a half million dollars. Our theater intern group helps young people who are just starting in their careers build a professional network. And Springboard NYC is a two-week boot camp for aspiring actors from colleges across the country. All of the American Theater Wing's educational and media programs are available for free, on demand, from our website, americantheaterwing.org. Now, let's return to the seminar. We were talking about the physical production, the sets and costumes and lights and, and stuff, and I wanted to talk about that particular theater, because I think, you know, for, for years people considered it a problem theater, that it was hard to, 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 to conquer its geography, its, uh, its architecture, but I find, I find it very appealing to see shows, and what's it like performing in that sort of three-quarter round thrust? I love that space. I love it. It's, um, it's, it's hard to judge sometimes acoustically. Uh, but they, they did a lot of work on it, I think, from since the time when it had the really bad reputation. Um, and I don't know. I love it. I love it. Uh, do you guys like it? Yeah, I mean, I like the space performing. It's, the sound thing is weird because it, it, there is, because of the three-quarter thing, I think oftentimes you sort of, the people in front of you think, why is he shouting at me? The people behind you are like, what is he saying? Mm -hmm. So we struggle. I, I, I struggled with that. But it, I'm not, you know, classically trained. <laughs> it takes getting used to. I have to say, when we when we first stood on the stage after we'd been in the rehearsal, it seemed like the largest mm. place, and it felt like we had to scream to be heard. I don't feel that anymore, and uh, I think you know we've learned to adjust. Um, Jack had to teach us how to move around so you don't just say you, you there's ways to like strafe, strafe yeah so that you know you can let everybody in on it and you have to be brave enough to know that there'll be moments that people have your back and that's okay because they're going to get your front later and uh, uh it's it took it's an adjustment but then there's something about the, it feels intimate now and it feels like like when we first come out on voyage and we all go to sit down at dinner I feel like we're the only people there. I don't feel like in some theaters you 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 see people move their legs and you know you can hear them with their candies and it stuff. Is nice you feel isolated. Yeah. You don't see them. You don't you, you sense them of course when they laugh. But I mean I've never heard a cell phone go off there. Have there, has right. there ever been one? Yeah. yeah. So I've never heard one. It's been much less than I've done plays at hundred seat houses. We're in where the phones ring a lot more. Yeah. It doesn't seem but like you just feel seats. more, more. Mm -hmm. that, I mean, the, the immediate needs of the audience seem you know, in a smaller space or there. In this place, it's just us out there, and it's there's some there's something very comforting and intimate about that. And you know, this there is something exciting to be on this set and this design that we're working with right now is a work of art unto itself, mm -hmm. and so it's kind of thrilling to be a part of that. You feel when you walk on the stage that it looks good. Do you know, I mean, it's I a confidence thing. Yeah. It, it, you can come and watch and not speak a word of English and just look at the pretty pictures. And yeah, I mean, I really think you, you do, could. You it, do. It's we, so do. we have so much pride. I mean, in the, in the, in the beginning of the second act, when, when the ice skating rink comes up and the ice sculptor in Moscow suddenly shows up and the people are clapping and I have an entrance, I kind of 
taken the class. Like, yes, aren't we wonderful? It's just like. <laughs> I that was for you. Yeah, I, I, I pretend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I pretend. But it's just, you know, you know. I mean, I know when we first saw that, we were all like, oh. I mean, I cried when I saw that the first time. And, and, and there, when the stars come out in, in part three, it's just so magical. And you just, you just are, you're transcendent to other worlds. Um, uh, in a way that I don't know I've ever felt before in the theater. But I, I love your, your comment about it being intimate, the moments in this being, being in, in, intimate, because I want to talk a little bit about, um, th there's a wonderful journal that the Lincoln Center Theater put together that has all kinds of essays and interview with Tom Stoppard and things like that. And in it, it, it lists favorite lines from some of, some of, I think the actors, one of, you know, some of your favorite lines. Can we talk about favorite lines and or favorite moments in the, in the show? I think the moment that breaks my heart is um, when Hertzen talks about um, his son um, the death of a child the death of his child and and it being dark and he can't hear and how hard that must have been that's I, I, I go on that yeah because his son can only hear by reading lips and there was no and it was so dark and when he died must have been so that's that's the most moving part of the play for me. <laughs> Maybe because I have sons. Right. <laughs> Josh, do you have a, f a favorite line of yours? I mean, that's uh, of, of mine. Yours. Oh, oh, mine. Um, uh, or moments that, that you that you love playing. I have, your one, I have one. My favorite one, probably my favorite moment in Salvage is. Uh, well, I, yeah. See, we're doing the play still. I can't. <laughs> yeah, it's really good <laughs> to tell you because yeah. I'll ruin it. Yeah, I don't want. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. Like, I'll ruin it. Josh does exactly. I'll come up like, oh, this is my favorite moment. Then I just said it badly and I'll come it's why it's hard to read reviews because if somebody ever points out something you're doing right, you never do it right again. Mm. So you have to wait until after the show's over if you want to read the reviews, but or if you want to read. Miss <laughs> Stoppard is is so literate, and, and and obviously his intelligence is 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 is, is awesome. But do you, do you are there ever moments in his speaking his dialogue where it sounds more like um, speeches than 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 people talking, or is that not? Well, a that's. Uh, that's that's the danger of Stopper. That's the danger of any. I mean, of Shaw, of any of this stuff. I mean, uh, people don't talk like this. It is stylized in a certain way. I mean, it's. Yeah. it's yeah. Uh, we had an interesting moment one time because I, I think I haven't done that many um, language. I mean, I guess all plays are language plays, but I haven't done that many that are sort of heightened language plays. And uh, I think when I was first working on one of the scenes, I was sort of doing that mistake that sometimes naturalistic actors do. Where they try to like do Shakespeare, like kind of really, you know, like. Bring it down to make it real. Of, like make it real, but right. you know. And so we were doing this. I was doing a scene with Jennifer, and um, Tom's guy, Tom stopped me. He said, "No, you, you, you're sort of talking like you would talk in the green room. You're being very real, sort of real. And I want, I want super real. <laughs> and that's sort of became like a little super it was very real. helpful, actually, super real, which is just, you know, it's sort of realer than real. It's that sort of slightly heightened, but because these words, you can't sort of say these words like you're talking like. I mean, it, it is. They are beautifully. They're constructed paragraphs. Yeah. The, you know, there's the reigning style of acting right now is realism. I mean, you know, it started with Brando and didn't really start there, but I mean, it's, it's been going ever since about realism. And, and one of the things I, I like most about this show is 
both in Jack's interpretation of it and in the writing, in the, in the incredible aspiration of the writing, is it's modern art. It's half movie, it's half Shakespeare, mm-hmm. it's half opera, it's half symphony. It's not a nostalgic piece of theater the way I don't like a lot of that old presentational style of that kind of John Gilgoodian style of acting where it just sounds super pretty. We've somehow gone beyond that. It's not... Um, but yet in this play, to do this play right, you need some of that John Gilgood. And you also need the, the realism. It needs to be both emotionally invested and have some kind of authenticity. And, you know, I've never had a playwright in my life say to me, I, I thought he was kidding at first when he said this first day verse of this, only one thing that's important to me, which is clarity of utterance. And I, I would love when it's all over to ask him, for a cup of coffee and say, do you really mean that? Is it really the oh, most... absolutely, he means it. It's, it's astounding to me. I mean, he really wants to hear the T in... Addiction. In, in the diction, and he wants your A's to be pronounced correctly, and I think this was very hard for him at first because he hasn't... This is the thing, Josh, yeah. are you going to... You, yeah. you say it. Well, no, we were talking about it because, I mean, his plays are usually done with either British. British actors or English accents, and I think he's not used to American actors butchering his lines. But, but I mean, because most of his plays are, take place in England. Right. We're so Russians. Done, but these are Russians, so we don't... He's never heard his, play, his writing done with an American accent, which, we're allowed, which was hard for him at first. I mean, I have lines like, I say, Belinsky, what do you know about Count Saligab? I mean, that's not... An American doesn't, you know, I say. I mean, you know, but you somehow have to try to pull it off. But it's been a fascinating part of this, is how to make it presentational or super real, the way that... But super super real through realism, kind of, in the way... Is that what you're sort of saying, that we live in a realistic world of acting these days? Well, that's the reigning style of acting. I mean, you know, I mean, in the movies, it's terrible. I mean, all all anybody has to do is smile and have real moments or or seem like... But if you try to do that... That style of acting with Tom Shepard's writing it doesn't make it more real. It actually right. makes it. It doesn't it seem makes right it at all. not work. Yeah. The only way I can do it, and having done now four Tom Stopper plays, which you've done four now, you've done you this you've done three. Both these, yeah. This is my first. So you've done two. So we've all oh, done a lot of Tom Stopper now. Yeah. Um, and unless you count Coast of Utopia as one, of course. <laughs> but my my way, the thing that I've that doing those four that's. Um, is uh, the way I have to do it is to start with trying looking at each line and trying to figure out how Tom would say it, and I go in assuming that every single line he's written he has written it as he would speak it, and to be said in that way. And um, so that's the only way I know how to do it now is to start with that, and try to fi- keep looking at it and try to figure out and if necessary go to him and say, how would you say that? And he will always say. You're right. I wrote it to be said the way I would say it, and that is how I would say it. Then let me tell you, please, frankly, Alexander, that you are not helping me by keeping open house for the emigrate population of London. Almost every day and into the night, these people, some of them no better than riffraff, disturb the family peace, beckoning on you for free food, drink, and entertainment. But how can I possibly... My advice is to set aside two evenings a week to receive your acquaintances. By invitation only. Easily done. You're right. Thank you. It's an interesting point you make about the coast of Utopia being done in, uh, not with any particular English or otherwise accents. Um, you know, what, do, you, do you think that was a, a, a hard choice for Stopper? Or do you think it was... 
Oh, I think it's an obvious choice. I mean, if you're going to do it, I mean, they're Russian. We're not speaking. Right? I mean, it, yeah. it's 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 an obvious one. And d- did he make any adjustments in any of the lines because y- uh, you were yes. not English speaking? In- uh-huh. There are a couple of phrases that sort of yeah. seem very English, and then when it's in American mouth, it might have sounded a little bit mm-hmm. that. And memory. he would ask us, you know, do you say this or do you yeah. say this? And he would change it to whatever the American audience yeah. is going to get. Yeah. I think maybe because he culled this play from so many different historical sources and things, I don't know if he was as, I don't know, his I don't know if he was with it yeah. as he might have been with a play that he had completely written from his, you know. That's a good point. So I think sometimes if we had, oh, like we said, oh, you know, I actually read a letter in which my character said this, and he goes, oh, yeah, let's put that in, or let's take that out, and I don't know, was he, well, you did the revival of the Yeah, he changed thing. things in the real thing. I don't think we changed anything for American audiences. We were asked to broaden our acting for American audiences, but that wasn't home. But, um, <laughs> I, um, I wonder who that could have been. <laughs> uh, no, but I, I know he also, because I don't, I don't remember hearing him change that much in these plays. Um, I know that we talked about things like responsibility is can to carry in England, and um, we didn't change that in the end. Billy still says can to carry. And I, I heard it, because I, I asked Tom what um, a last is in shoemaking, because um, Brian has a line, Hertzen has a line where he says, the cobbler with his own last is an aristocrat compared to the man working in a shoe factory. And I said, what, what is a last? And he said, oh, it's that thing, you know, that you used to make your shoes. And he said, I, I like it when, you know, people might leave here and go and try to find out what a last is. And I like that. You were the first. Uh, yes. <laughs> so, um, so he doesn't, he doesn't always want everything to be um, it's okay that you don't yeah, it's okay get to know what everything yeah. means. Yeah. But are, are there a lot of lines in Coast of Utopia that are come from the source material? Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, yes. A lot, yeah. American exile, American no, romantic exiles. If you yeah. read it, it's, it's so much of it comes from the letters. And mm-hmm. Well, so much of uh, the first act of Voyage comes from the E.H. Carr biography of Bakunin uh, and mm-hmm. my past and thoughts, which is Hertz and his memoirs and what from there. It, I mean, it, it, to me, it, it, among other fascinating things, is that these are not people that I'd ever even heard of, and I, I imagine a great many of the of the people have never there heard. There is so it, much it, out there about them. Yeah, well, clearly. You, yeah, once you find, but none of it. Is really that's what I think is so remarkable about what Tom has done. These, this is a really interesting moment in time that not many people knew about, and they really are fascinating people. And there's the, the, the great thing. There's a moment in Voyage where the, it's crazy. The sisters are reading this letter from Natalie Bayer about, you know, your you don't understand that your brother and I should be going out because of his. What are, what are the lines to this? It's, it's a, <laughs> anyway, I can't, I can't remember right now. But it's so highfalutin about you know their spirits need to become one, and it's all about the absolute and the universal beauty and truth and everything. And it's a real letter. Yeah. I mean, you, you people sit there in the audience and they think that Tom Stoppard is like getting kind of Stoppardian. And the funny thing is, is that's a real letter. And these these people at this moment in time were so hit. There were so many ideas that were shattering the way that people were normally thinking at that moment that it was an exciting moment to dramatize. My friends, comrades, I give you a toast. The liberty of each for the equality of all. The liberty of each. What does that mean? It doesn't mean anything. I am not free unless you too are free. That's nonsense. You were free when I was locked up. I am devoted to you, Bakun, and I delight in the fanfare, no, the funfare of your pronouncements. You've made yourself a European reputation by a kind of revolutionary word music 
from which it is impossible to extract an ounce of meaning, let alone a political idea, let alone a course of action. Clearly, this is, we've, we've talked about all kinds of fascinating um, things in, uh, in among the acting company, the directors, and all that. Do you feel that, generally speaking, this is a pretty good time for actors, or is this an opportunity that comes along once in a lifetime? You mean, is this indicative of... Is this indicative? A sea change, or yeah, you know, well, being it, a rich time. I mean, I think that there's a feeling that there, there's a lot of very interesting work going on now, and I guess the, the more articulate way to say it is: Do you feel that there is a lot of good work going on, good work, good opportunities for actors today? Whenever the world gets bad, the artists get more interesting. I mean, that is true. I mean, one of, I mean, from a very kind of gross thing to say, but. We are living in a very challenging time, you know, with technology exploding and with our country being at war and these ideas of terrorism and these ideas of the environment that seem so pressing on everybody and on the culture. And that is provoking. I mean, I remember in the first time that I was really paying attention in the 80s to art, it was so vacuous. You know, it's very. You didn't have your Bob Marleys and your John Lennons, and you didn't have your, you know, the early Scorsese movies, and you, people really, you know, the whole kind of renaissance that was happening in the American arts in the late '60s and early '70s. Uh, and I think that it is true that the more volatile time period you live in, the dialogue that we're discussing becomes more interesting. One of the arguments in the play that comes up. Um, between Belinsky and, and the, the whole question of working under censorship, artists working under censorship, or whether they should go to France where they can write freely. And one of the arguments is that no, it means so much more to work in a, uh, to try to do work in a place where um, it, it's, it's, you're being watched and it's, 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 people take it so much more seriously. I, I was watching the film The Lives of Others mm, yesterday. Is that wonderful? Just so incredible. Um, set in East Germany in 84. And there's so many parallels to our play. And I was just thinking about how, you know, I don't know if there's more opportunities for actors, but I do think there's, whenever you're not living in a complacent time, which we certainly can't afford to be doing now, given um, the state of this administration and the world, that I think there are, there is a lot of um, need and desire for artists of all across the board to, um, to try to um, make their voice heard. And uh, two of you had a theater company for a while there. Mm -hmm. Was that part of, part of wanting to have your voice heard, or was it part of having... It came out of a desire to do our own work and mm -hmm. not sit around and wait for people to give us jobs. And, yeah. The life of an actor can be very... Uh, it can be hard waiting for people to give you your at-bat, do you know? And, you know, and a lot of young writers struggle with the same thing, you know? When Sam Shepard and Arthur Miller are be done, being done off-Broadway. I mean, Arthur's passed away now, but I mean, you know, it, it's really hard for a 24-year-old struggling playwright to get his play done if, you know, those people are being done off-Broadway. I mean, so it's, that's what, that's what the Malapart was a company that we had started. But it's kind of a thrill for us. Like, last year, or season ago, we got to do Hurley Burley together and we're able to I mean, the idea of company acting is what we're achieving here in Coast of Utopia, where you're working with people that you know, and so there's a level of intimacy that you can build on. The, the inevitable question that someone like, like me always wants to ask actors like you is, you know, you've done film, you've done theater, you've done television. Um, do you like a menu that has a little bit of everything, or do you, and do you prefer one or the other, or do you, do you think it, that they all feed each other? Amy? I personally um, would be happy to stay on the stage for the rest of my life. I, I've enjoyed my film work, I've enjoyed working in television, but 
I mean, nothing beats the theater. And uh, if one can stay in New York and do theater and, and have a life, that's perfection to me. I like the hours. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the hours of theater? Yeah. They're kind of hard when you, now that you have a child, though, you're going to notice the hours are a little difficult, too. Oh, that's true. I hadn't practiced. Because you, <laughs> you miss a lot of dinners with your kids. No, that's true. That's, you know, yeah. I, was, I was making sure my son, I'm a single mom of a 16-year-old, and he, I brought him around the theater during rehearsals for a while, and he started to play some poker with the guys, but uh, they're not allowed backstage during the show, so I'm, I'm happy I'm not in part three because I do get to have some dinners with him. It's hard, that schedule, but... I wouldn't trade it for anything. Ethan, you've also directed film. And written. And written. He's got a new film that's wonderful coming out. Um, you know, my theory about it is that I like to be in the room with talented people. And if you can be in a room with this crowd and Tom Stopper and Jack O'Brien, then there's nowhere else to be. Do you know? But I, I've had that experience on movies where there's some really, you know, bright people, it is, there is something for me about the present tense of theater. The there's something nostalgic about film, the simple fact of taking its picture to preserve it for later, as opposed to living in the moment. The audience that was there at the last marathon, you know, somebody can come up to me in 50 years and say, I saw the marathon, you know, oh really, which one, the first, the first one? <laughs> so you were there when, you know, Brian forgot that line and it was not that funny, <laughs> that was so funny, you know? And, um, and it was like we had dinner together. It was something very real, that the way that movies never are. Um, but, you know, but the theater is, is a struggling art form right now. You know, people are interested in nostalgia. They're not terribly interested in the moment. And Jennifer, you, you've, you've, did you grow up in England? Or I know you have England. No, I grew up in America. But, but you I spent 12 years in England, yeah. So, so From 18 to 30. And uh, compare and contrast. It, you know, it's hard to, because I, I also stopped acting for four years in sort of in between the changeover, so I, and I, I just feel like, uh, I feel, I'm just in such a different place when I was, than when I was living in England. I, I can't really, um, it seems like that was somebody else. But I, I don't know. I, I right now I, I just, I'm, I, this job is so fulfilling, um, I can't really think of anything I would rather be doing. I can think of, um, reasons to possibly be doing other things that, you know with the uh, left side of my brain but it's not um, but this is so fulfilling it really is there's no um, there, there's no place else to be I mean this it's it's as good as it gets it's as good as it gets yeah. for actors yeah. have you sensed a difference in the audience from since the very beginning when I think it's fair to say nobody quite knew what this was going to be. It's hard to say because there's always a difference in the beginning with subscription audiences. So it's hard to tell, you know, and the first few weeks are subscription audiences. And, and they hadn't also been the told are, how great we were. But yet. also the shows, are, the shows are finding themselves in those first few weeks. So everything, the whole experience is yeah. different over the, over the course of time. I think people forget how much, um, not you, but um, that in general people forget how much a show changes over the course of its run. And we're still discovering things. Yeah. It's so much fun. I mean, you yeah. know, we, we, we get out there and, I mean, pennies are dropping still. I mean, it's such rich material that you just never stop working. And we're not repeating it. It really is thrilling it's, to no not, each time you're doing a play, you have, haven't done it in three or four days. And so you're a little nervous and tentative in, that can breed 
for some good creativity. At one point, we hadn't done part one for three weeks, wasn't yeah. it? And when when Ethan's character arrives, <laughs> the, we were so excited to greet him. And yeah. I'm thinking to myself, well, are we a little too overexcited? But then again, he's been gone for five years. And then, yeah. oh my God, my boy, he was 17 when he left. And uh, he's 21 now. played it wrong. We're all so happy to see each other. It was, actually, it was actually better. It was exactly appropriate for these passionate Russian people to be so happy to yeah. see him. Yeah. That's how, that's, you know, we learned from the time gap. That yeah. was fun. It was fun. <laughs> Have you ever shown up? to one thinking that it was another? I did once. Um, I arrived too late to the theater for, to get ready for my part one. I thought it was part two where I don't come on till the second act and started to think the dressers were crazy because they were all the wrong clothes for Jennifer and myself <laughs> until then. Okay, it's voyage tonight. But it, it, it sounds like it, it kind of going to the acting gym, having these three plays and, 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 and keeping you on your toes. It keeps your muscle well-oiled. No time for boredom? I'm, I'm sure there will be... I wonder what it'll all be... The next job will be like for mm. all of us. Do you, do you know? It'll be, it'll be so... Different. Small. We all had great plans for our backstage life for those of us who aren't on stage. Uh, we were yeah. all going to learn a language and read all, read the, all the classics. And and it doesn't have, I find myself listening to the play every oh, day. No, I'm not in the first act, and it's like my, the best radio play I've ever gone to. <laughs> and I listen every night, and I enjoy it every night. I feel so lucky that I get to hear it every night. But is it, is it, taking on Ethan's company, is, is it, do you long, when this is over, to do a, 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 a two-person play in some quiet place, or do you no, just I want to... I feel like that'll be kind of anticlimactic. I can't yeah. imagine doing a play for a little while after this. I, I think it will ruin me for attempting anything else for a while. I could do this for another year. That's so much fun. Well, I certainly, I hope you, I hope you do it for at least longer than, than, than it's then been announced. May, May 13th. I don't think we're going to be extending. I mean, I, I do think it's fascinating that when people wonder if there's an audience for good theater in this town, and then something like Costa Utopia comes, o comes along, and suddenly it appears as if there actually is. I know. I'm so grateful that people want to come see this. Right. It's really, sold it's, out every night. We never amazing. see an empty seat. Yeah, every time I, you know, if there's ever a night where and you feel sort of like tired and you think like, oh, you just did this. And I, I think about someone who's like saved up their money, some like, like a grad student studying Russian literature and he's like saved their money to come see it. And you think, I know. Like, I'm just so, I'm so impressed and grateful that people are coming to see this because it is challenging material, but it's also really entertaining too. So. But do you also feel that the freedom of an institutional theater where you would have played a certain time no matter what, did that give you freedom to, 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 to not to worry. I mean, in the commercial theater world, there's always that, oh my God, we might not get good reviews. Oh my right, God, we, we might we not run. Close after did that, that give you freedom or was it, was it, did it not matter? It didn't really matter, I don't think, because we knew we were going to open all three and the original date for us to close was three, was this week, was next week. So we were only ever going to run three weeks after Salvage opened. And the um, ticket sales were so good so. before we opened that, you know, we didn't really need to open. We actually delayed our opening because uh, one of our cast members was ill and uh, it was like, for as far as selling tickets, it didn't need, need no. to. And Lincoln Center was just so incredible and supportive. Yeah. And so, yeah. So yeah. Yeah. I just believed in this. On. I mean, I've just yeah. never they seen anything like it. They took a great risk and they, they put a lot of money into this and their heart and soul. And the thing is, if you're in a show that's not working, you want it to close. You know, I mean, that's... Yeah. You don't sort of just... Just because like the New York Times doesn't like it doesn't mean it's not good. No, no, but I didn't say anything about the New York Times. When you're in a play and nobody I'm likes saying it, if audiences there, are the not enjoying it. Everyone knows it's not going well, but you have a certain run, and it's like, 
That's, yeah. a, that's, that's something horrible. I like to do. You do a bad movie that nobody sees it. I mean, I, I know that you, your actors and don't read uh, newspapers, but you're so controversial that the New York Times doesn't even seem to agree about the play, which is, I think, you know... It, it's it, good. It, there should be a debate. Oh, it's yeah. absolutely. I mean, it's a, a debate about real live theater and about a play that, that is demanding, uh, you know, of, of the audience's attention and, and passions. And, I think say so. how many actors are there in it? I've I've heard from between thirty six and forty four. Do we know? I think it is about that span because there were there more children brought in yeah. as we went along for well, each for part two and the then more for part children. three. So thirty six adults in the show. Thirty six adults. Dave, we're about to lose David Patu at the end of this week, oh. so we um, he, he we'll had a commitment one to go into another. Which was he? Are there covers and understudies within the company? Oh yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. that's the beautiful thing is that everyone understudies. Not most, I mean, the, uh, everyone. So when someone falls out, there's this huge shift, and all of a sudden you see like three people playing roles that never played before, and that's so fun. That's happened like really twice fun. this week. Happened last night. People are great. Right. You know, people are, like we've been real serves are all of a sudden playing a, a company. And you're like, and they're fantastic. Yeah. And in, in one understudy, just because. If somebody's understanding, they're covering for somebody, but then somebody has to cover their part, and somebody has to cover their part. So it has this great domino yeah. effect. The, yeah. the whole company is so amazing that about three weeks into the first um, first set of rehearsals for in September for Voyage, um, a, an actor was gone, and his understudy took his place for, for a few days. Through. Yep, for the first run through, yeah. and we all just were looking at each other, going. Nobody can leave the room. Yeah. We can't leave the room because so he was, none of us are missing. We realized how good we the understudies were. We applauded him and cried. It was so good. Mm. It was just, and so everyone's done their best to not be off since. <laughs> yeah. So our understudies yeah. don't show us up. They're too good. Well, that's the funny thing about Jack O'Brien is he's worked in the theater so long and he knows so many people that, you know, our understudies are somebody who, you know, played Hamlet in this production in Philadelphia and like these people are good you know um, also I think when, when, when Richard uh, was sick Richard Easton who, who I'm, was documented in, in the paper and I, I remember I think Andre told me that his line his exit line was something about that's the, all, the last I'll say yeah. about that and, and, then, and collapsed but just the whole way that, that you all stuck together and they delayed the opening till he could come back and, mm. and you know I gather he was, the, he was high on the list of the people who wanted him back he wanted to get back mm -hmm. and you know get back and put the tap shoes back on and get out there yes indeed it's, 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 it's very, very classy Lincoln Center yeah. they yeah. just they've handled this situation with uh, a complete class. Yeah. Well, I, I certainly know on behalf of the audiences, we are very pleased that it is here. We're pleased that you are part of it. And I want to thank you all for being here today. This has been wonderful. Thank you. Um, these programs are brought to you from the Graduate Center of the City University of New York with our partners, CUNY TV. On behalf of the American Theatre Wing, thank you for joining us for another edition of Working in the Theatre.